Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to not only those individuals that want to get into this business, but for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name, each week. I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. There are very few individuals in our industry they can say they've been a part of a brand new venue, and even fewer that can say they've been part of two brand new venues as well as a launch of an inaugural team. Our next guest can proudly say he's been part of both, and that is the Vice President of Sales and Service for AMB Sports and Entertainment, Don Rovac. Don, welcome to the show. Hey, Travis, how are you? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm good. Hunker down. Everything Everything is good. Okay, that is for sure. Well, well Don, you know, certainly appreciate your time. And you know, I think one of the most interesting things I think about being in this business is, is being a part of a build of a brand new venue. And we'll get to your experience with both. You currently work for AMB Sports and Entertainment, which is comprised of the Atlanta Falcons, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and Atlanta United FC. And, you know, Mercedes-Benz Stadium opened in August of 17. Estimated cost was $1.6 billion to build. You know, you were a part of that. How cool of an experience was that? Um, it's, been, it's been an awesome experience. You know, I think um, a lot of us that are, that are in this industry, um, we hope one day to be a part of a magnificent facility and to be a part of the opening has been amazing. And, and it's amazing to think that it's three-plus years old as we continue to learn and continue to, to have events. And, you know, you ask it as a past tense question, but I feel like it's, it's still a cool experience to be, to be a part of and growing and, and learning every day for sure. No, absolutely. And, and Don, you know, I, I, I first moved, you know, met you when I was in Atlanta, and, and I remember shortly after I moved out of Atlanta, I remember reading, I was still reading the AJC on a pretty consistent basis, and, and back in 2010, the Falcons were interested in replacing the Georgia Dome, and so, you know, then fast forward a few years ahead, 2013, the agreement was made to construct, you know, the, the beautiful venue you guys have, and so, Don, how involved were you in figuring out what seating and premium options to provide? Was there any fan feedback you were getting? Walk us through kind of that process of, of understanding what kind of that hospitality looked like. Sure. I think, um, you know, we uh, relied on, on Legends, who had, had been a um, – who is a leader in the industry, obviously, in these stadiums, um, especially related to the hospitality and the premium seating. And so really relied on a lot of their expertise. Um, and then one thing I think we did a lot of leading up to the stadium – um, the stadium being constructed was was talk to our fans and learn from our fans and learn not only what was happening throughout the industry but what 
what our fans wanted. And so, you know, I think those, obviously looking at industry experts and, and listening to them and then also our fans and, and then trying to make sure that this was Atlanta centric was, was important to the leaders uh, that were part of our organization. And then, and then probably, you know, I think if I think of where, where I, where I think I've been you know, most helpful along, along the way was, was building out that staff to make sure that we, um, that our organization represented um, what was going to be a, you know, a customer centric building and make sure that we were, we were staffed accordingly. Sure. Yeah. So, so Don, you kind of mentioned staff, like what were some, you know, at the time important characteristics you were looking for in, in team members? Cause to your point, you're immersing yourself in the Atlanta community and very customer centric. You know, what, what were you looking for? So I think, you know, one, one thing we've, you know, I've you know, been in this industry uh, for 20 plus years and, um, you know, constantly trying to find um, industry experts that care about people. Um, I, I find once you, once we, you have the right people, we can, that, that care about other humans and care about uh, the hospitality industry, then we can teach them how to sell. Then we can teach them exceptional ways to provide service. Um, the things I truly can't teach is probably how, how caring and how how to be empathetic and, and those are more skills that um, that we look for on hiring and then and then it's just more about giving them some sales tools or service tools to make sure that that they're representing our brand um, to you know to ultimately make a positive impression on you know I mean Atlanta Falcons or Atlanta United or Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You know I think Don that's that's great advice for all the listeners again whether you're you know, trying to get into this business, you're in this business, you're a leader, like control what you can control, right? Like, you know, if you surround yourself with good people to your point, you, you can teach them all the sales skills. You can't teach them some of the other intangibles that come along the way. That's right. I can't tell you how many people that I've interviewed and, and usually very quickly and especially in entry level sales positions, I'm talking to one of two people and it's the one person that's telling me how great they are and how great of a salesperson they are and give them a chance and they're better than the next person. And the other person is, you know, communicating, Hey, I don't know if I can do this, but I've worked as a hostess. I've worked as a waiter. You know, I'd love it. I'd love to try it. I'd love to learn. And, you know, every time I'm betting on that second person um, instead of the first, they just show to be quicker learners. They, they show to be um, more moldable. They show to be more empathetic. And that usually translates to a really positive interaction with our customer into building long-lasting relationships. Absolutely. You, you always want somebody that's open to learning. And so, you know, Don, we'll, we'll come back and, and certainly learn about, you know, your 11-plus years there in Atlanta. But you grew up in Missouri, headed to Bloomington to become a Hoosier there at Indiana University. What did you study at IU? Yeah, so I grew, grew up in St. Louis, went to school at IU. My, I, have a, I have an older brother who's a year in school older than me, and I – had vowed to get out of his shadow, so I was not going to follow him to college, and that took one great party as a senior high senior in high school, and then I was headed to Bloomington. So um, I went there originally for the business school. I think for a brief minute I was an accounting major, and uh, that you know I, that lasted I don't know three to four weeks, where that was very clear that that path <laughs> was not going to be one for me or for uh, the industry in general. Um, and so I had a big, uh, I had taken a sports marketing and management class at that time. And that was the first time I had learned that of the industry, didn't know anything about it. And so I came home, 
Thanksgiving break or fall break and had a had a sit down with my parents and, and communicated that I wanted to change my major to, to the sports management field. And, and I lost that battle and that was an argument that I wasn't going to win. So so I, I stayed as a major through the business school. I majored in um, in marketing uh, through uh, the Kelly School of Business at IU. And I, and I but meanwhile I minored in kinesiology and taking you know one to two courses each year to 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 gain a um, a minor in sports management field. And that you know really um, in retrospect was was perfect for me. It, it allowed me to learn a lot of the marketing principles um, while also learning about what at that time I was much more passionate about uh, related to the sports industry in general. So as, as you were growing up, like, did you have, you know, I guess, what was your first job? Did you have any sales or even waiter jobs that kind of helped lead you down that track? Yeah. So, I mean, my, I would say early jobs, I was, you know, probably first job as a bus boy. Um, the, I think my, uh, so my freshman year in college, there was a, a day where a buddy and, myself basically very quickly put uh, through, uh, I wouldn't say social network, but it's pre-social marketing and, and, and pre-Facebook, but, but basically, hey, call your friends, friends, and let's have a basketball tournament. And, and there was like 80 people that came to this elementary school on a random day, and we just had a little three-on-three basketball tournament. And then at that time, we said, hey, wait a minute, there's something here. So then that next summer and the following summer, my first, I would say, real job was us putting together a, a basketball tournament, a three-on-three basketball tournament that um, that we gained sponsors for and marketed and, 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 and did the operations and, and the bracket for. And it was an unbelievable learning experience. And at that time, uh, sophomore, junior in college, that's what I thought I was going to do when I grew up. So I think there I had the – I learned very quickly the basis of, of the foundation of what I do, of what I do now. Um, you know, but again, had – at that time, if I look back at myself, probably doing everything the wrong way and just learning from a lot of life lessons about the right way and the wrong way to approach sponsors or market your product or, or even put together the tournament. But it was a really good, um, it, it was a good foundation. And even though at that time I thought it was going to be kind of working, you know, never having to work for anybody, uh, at the same time, at that time it was tremendous fun. We, did, we probably gave up on it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit too quickly. To be yeah, it makes sense. What what was your so after you graduate what was your first job there after graduation so so moved back home after college my house got smaller and smaller by the day and I needed <laughs> I tried every wrong way to get into the industry I worked a lot of odd jobs in St Louis and and I was sending letters and on WorkingSports.com and really trying any way to 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 get out of the industry and at that time I had a buddy that was going to grad school in Memphis and he was. I was on the phone with him. He was looking through the Memphis yellow pages under sports. And fortunately I had a, um, I knew, as a St. Louis Cardinals fan, I knew that, that the Memphis Redbirds were opening up in, in Memphis, but at that time they still weren't listed as the Memphis Redbirds. Um, but the Liberty Bowl was, was listed. And I, and I, I cold called the Liberty Bowl and I said, Hey, I got, I have a free place to stay. Um, looking to get experience. Do you need an intern? And that was on a Friday, and I had never been to Memphis. And he said, sure, come on down and start work on Monday. Start on so Monday. I, Let's go. So I, packed, so I packed up on Saturday and, and stayed at my buddy's house. And his kitchen pantry became my closet, and his den was my bedroom. And and um, it was a great opportunity for, for both me to learn, um, you know, learn, learn a new industry. I kind of did a lot of odd jobs, but inclusive yeah. – 
of selling sponsorships in their game day program and doing a lot of prep for the Liberty Bowl itself. This is in kind of October, November, December timeframe. What it, but what it also did, I, I um, was able to network and meet some folks that, that were working uh, with uh, the Redbirds. And so their inaugural year and that first year of an internship was able to parlay my Liberty Bowl internship into a, uh, a Memphis Redbirds internship to start in January. So originally I moved there for, for two months and then two months became another eight months. And, and at, at that time, uh, you know, I, I'd expected to leave Memphis relatively, relatively quickly. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, it's, it's a great point, right? Like you're not handed anything in, in sales and in this business, you aren't necessarily handed anything. You got to work your way up and you were willing to kind of go out of your comfort zone, which is hard for people to do, especially out of college. Hey, I'm going to move to Memphis, you know, in, in really a two day span, start as an intern, but I think obviously proved it to your point. You end up start working for the Memphis Redbirds, which, you know, for those of you who don't know, you know, in the minor league baseball realm, you know, you're consistently, you know, known the Memphis Redbirds is one of the best run organizations, ranked first or second in attendance pretty much consistently. And, you know, so we hear a lot of people that work in minor league baseball or minor league sports in general, and you, you're doing everything from sales to sponsorship to the mascot to pulling tarp. You know, what was some of your best learning experiences from your time there at the Redbirds? Oh man, um, this podcast isn't isn't long enough, I think, to, <laughs> to get to answer that question. But it was it was tremendous. It was you know so for it to be in minor league sports, to your point, where you do a lot of different things. I originally took a, an internship for a stadium operations internship, and four days later shifted to a sales internship, um, which four months later parlayed to a sales executive job. Year and a half moved out of there into a stadium operations manager, stadium operations director, back to director of ticket sales and ultimately vice president of marketing. And, and I think that's the beauty of minor league sports that, you know, in a, in a major league setting, um, you know, at the time I was a sales guy and I literally got tapped on the shoulder from a mentor and, and former general manager and said, Hey, do you want to be our stadium operations manager as we're heading into a new downtown ballpark? Um, that doesn't happen in a major league setting. Nobody is not, you know, tapping my sales guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the shoulder and saying, hey, do you want to open up uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium? And so <laughs> that that's the beauty, right? The, the beauty for me was I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I think like a lot of 16, 17, 18, 21-year-old kids, you have an idea of what that is. And as you learn more about yourself, you learn, hey, what I really thought I might be doing may not be exactly how I'm wired. And maybe the things I'm reading about, and granted, those are um, – awesome stories for other people in my core. That's not what gives me satisfaction. And so for me um, as a sales guy that it was okay at the time I was productive because the market was primed to be sold on. I wasn't, I wasn't very good at what I did and I ended up learning the hard way on how to sell. And then, but, but based on that experience is where um, probably my, my greatest asset that I ended up learning was just that ability to talk to that person. So I remember at 22, given little sales skills and said, hey, go out and sell. And I think I'm, I, I remember being in those shoes so well that 22 years later, I can talk to that person that is in our office today. And, that, and that's what's been awesome. Um, but just, you know, to me, in short, um, you know, the, the, the learning experience was just being able to, to be nimble, to, to pr- always prepare for something you don't know you're preparing for, right? I was, I was selling, but 
Meanwhile, I was also, because it wasn't being done, did inventory at the kids' uh, games, uh, kids' game areas at night, and that's ultimately what uh, why our GM approached me and thought it might be good on the operations front. Fast forward five years later, I've still done all that internship sales training that when uh, the Redbirds had a more focused need to sell tickets, moved back over to be the director of ticket sales. So awesome learning experience, a lot of great, great people um, that that ultimately, um, you know, ended up just learning things that I did not know that would help me down the road. And to that point, I think, Don, what a great opportunity to become more and more well-rounded, you know, in this business. You, you get your hands on a little bit of everything. And so, you know, during your time in Memphis, you know, I initially started this podcast talking about very few people get to open a facility. We talked briefly about open Mercedes-Benz at $1.6 billion. You get to help own, open AutoZone Park, uh, which in today's dollars costs the equivalent of $120 million. So a little bit difference in spending, but still a brand-new facility. So what were some of the biggest – you know, I said differences, but also some similarities in helping open both venues. Yeah, I think, you know, especially in, the, in AutoZone Park, I was in a, a stadium operations role. So, I mean, I did not sleep for the 30 days leading up to it. I mean, it was, you know, we, we had access to the freight elevator um, from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., right? The construction crew was using it during the day. And so the operational gift of delegation and, um, and volunteer coordination and um, was just tremendous. And things that I look back at my uh, managers, you know, Dan Madden at the time, I remember I would run around like just run around trying to do everything. And he said, hey, go, you have a bunch of volunteers out here. Go, go in your office, map out what you need and come out. And that, that uh, ex, you know, the, the gift of planning and learning how to plan at a young age that I quite honestly was not, uh, prepared for and being able to learn that on the fly was awesome. Fast forward 20 years, um, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So it is, um, you know, I think it's such a different role that I play, right? I'm the uh, vice president of ticketing sales and service. It, it, it's not, I'm running around. I don't, you know, they don't, our, our operations folks get mad if I'm in the freight elevator now, right? So it's more <laughs> of a difference of, of the roles. But I, one thing that I think helped me and continues to help me, um, sometimes, those that are on the sales and service front lines and those that are on the operations front lines that you, you lose something in translation, communication, and teamwork and being able to draw on those experiences are tremendous. And being able to, to share my story that, you know, yes, I used to manage groundskeepers and security teams and, and, and housekeepers is, is awesome. But um, that, you know, I would say it's a world of differences, obviously, and just scope, um, and my responsibilities, you know, but at the same time, I, th- I think the ability to to plan for the unknown, the ability to be nimble, the ability to be humbled, um, and and just understand that there's never going to be a perfect opening. And again, that I think where I where I knew this before Mercedes-Benz Stadium opened, based on AutoZone Park, is that just because you may be open and have an opening, that's not, that's not when you take a deep breath and say, we did it. It's, it's a continuous grind, especially in that, in that month one and year one, as you learn more about the venue, as you learn more about the fans, and you try to continue to work, right? Like 25 years ago, I would have thought that a venue opens up and after the opener, you don't see a construction worker again, where that, that is not true, right? Not they are, oh yeah. Very, very relevant. So, um, 
so that's, you know, just being, understanding the process a lot more. Um, but again, the role was so very different that it was more of just the ability to plan, the ability to manage people, the ability to be nimble and, and help communicate of its imperfections is probably uh, the greatest gift that I look back on so far. And such a great experience. And, you know, Don, you mentioned, you know, nim- being nimble a couple of times. I think that's advice in general, right? Is being nimble, being willing to pivot no matter what, you know, what the world kind of throws at you, whether it be during the COVID period, during a, a rebuild, during, you know, something that you can't control, you've got to be willing to pivot and be ready to go. So, so completely understand that. And, you know, Don, during your, te- your tenure there in Memphis, you had several, you know, job opportunities come your way, but you end up staying for 10 years, um, you know, learning and, and to your point, becoming a lot more well-rounded. What made you continue to stay with the Memphis Roadbirds, grow, grow in a variety of different functions? And then, you know, what, and along those lines, what advice would you give to people in the business, you know, on what is that right time to take on a new role and, and what factors go into making that decision? So I think, um, you know, again, my two months in Memphis ended up being eight months in Memphis, was two years in Memphis. And, and I remember selling to a car dealer, Maybe I'd been there six months, and he's and I started selling, and he said, "Whoa, slow down there, buddy. I'm not following you." He goes, "What's your name? How long you been?" And I'm like, and I explained to him my story, and I was gonna live move very soon. And he said, "That's what everybody says. Here's what's gonna happen, son. You're gonna find yourself a Memphis girl. You're gonna fall in love, and you're gonna stay here forever." And I said, "No, that's not. You know, I'm just gonna be here for a few months, and then I'm gonna move on." And then, lo and behold, like six months later, I I. Uh, find my beautiful wife and she is from Memphis and then shortly <laughs> thereafter we, we have a child and I, and I still remember him like oh my gosh I'm going to be here forever that's, <laughs> that's, that's what that the man had told me um, but what, you know the, the growth opportunities were so real the, you know what maybe the Cardinals brand maybe brought me there but what was so obvious was I was getting experience being a part of this growing organization that I was fortunate enough to be at the very ground level, right? I, I graduated in 97. I started with the Redbirds January of 98. The Redbirds franchise was awarded at the end of 97. Their first baseball was 98. So being a part of the, that organization at the ground level and then just the growth opportunities were too real. And even though at that time the market was not exactly my dream market, it was going to be the best experience that I was able to get. And I was, I was surrounded by great people that I was constantly put in opportunities to succeed. And quite honestly, I was put into opportunities that I was not prepared for. And that's a, it's such a great place to be. And so even though I wanted to, you know, I had friends up in Chicago and friends in New York and, and friends in different more major cities um, that were pulling me, it was not going to give me a better experience. And so staying and just continuing again and also you know I probably didn't have the same job title for any two years in Memphis so it it didn't feel stagnant it was constant growth and growth doesn't necessarily mean on a ladder that you get promoted you get promoted you get promoted it could mean okay I've I've done the sales thing now I'm doing something in operations okay now I'm going to go over ticket sales this helps you overall again prepare for things that you may not even know you're preparing for and that was that was a gift that that I was, you know, I would, I would chalk up to lucky, but at the same time, I think I made, I know I made the most of that opportunity as the Redbirds were growing up, uh, being a part of, of some of those decisions at the time. 
Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over a 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at zero and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. Call to action right now. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code HUSTLE or DealDash.FM backslash HUSTLE. That's DealDash.FM backslash HUSTLE. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're called Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. We're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Don Roback, Vice President of Sales and Service for the Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta United FC, and Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And so, and Don, you, know, you, you talk about a lot of experience there. You talk about, you know, you're kind of changing titles, changing responsibilities, become more well-rounded. And then in December of 07, you decide to make the move to Atlanta, Georgia. You become the director of ticket sales for the Atlanta Falcons at the time. And, you know, I know my experience in talking to many people in the industry, sometimes it's hard to see past the title. And I think that's probably a big misconception in this business is what is your title? And, you know, just talk about why you make decisions. And you end up going from VP in Memphis uh, to the director role with the Falcons. Was that a tough adjustment, you know, on the title end or going from a VP to a director? And, and you know, how hard was it to go from – you know, 10-game homestands into 10 games. Right. Well, the, the latter was not difficult. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. The, um, so at the time, so so I'm in Memphis for 10 years. And, again, mean, meanwhile, during that, that time, I, I am looking constantly. I'm saying, you know, just I'm getting a I, – I, I didn't go um, on too many face-to-face interviews, but I'm constantly learning what's out there. My wife – had wanted to, uh, we had communicated, we had not planned to be in Memphis and we were going to move on. And, and, um, and then, uh, fortunately get, 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 I left briefly, uh, the Redbirds. I went to go work for Dover Motorsports in still in Memphis, doing some work with the, the Nas, uh, Nashville, Memphis and St. Louis track. But then I went back to the Redbirds as vice president of marketing. And, um, and shortly thereafter had, had really great, um, relationships with our owner. And I had a, I had good opportunities um, to just that be the landing spot for me. And, and one day it hit me that, Hey, we're perfectly content in Memphis. I had just had our, we, we have two boys now, 12 and 14. We, we had just had our, our second, our second child. And I remember, I remember what's that? Car dealer was right. Yeah. The car dealer was right. And I've, I've mentioned, right. I, that's, that, that man has always sat on the, on my left shoulder, and I look back at him, and I'm like, man, that guy was right. And and here I am in Memphis, and I, I had, you know, all, I had every responsibility that I had wanted. I had a great title, and I was working for 
my hometown team, right? I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan, and here I am at Redbirds, and uh, and um, and I was with my wife on the hammock with our two little boys, and I and I remember this very well in November of '07. We said, you know what, life is good. I'm done looking. I don't. We are perfectly happy. Um, you can continue to chase things that you thought you would you would be uh, in a different place. Reality is, I'm happy, and that that call. Um, that we had the conversation felt very gratifying like and and that was on a Wednesday and on Thursday I got a call the next day about the job at the Falcons mm-hmm. so it was wild that literally spent 10 years with one eye uh looking on how to get out of Memphis and the second we agreed that it was home then this opportunity came with the Falcons and so the vice president title was nice at the Redbirds um I knew it translated differently in minor league baseball to major league sports um, so it wasn't the title that was pulling me. It was more of, at that time I had been, I was fortunate enough to really be on the creative side of building sponsorships. That was really energizing and, and fun for me. Um, and that aspect of growing past ticketing is something I really loved. And so as I interviewed for the job for Falcons, um, that was really where I was. It was more of giving that freedom up that I had, had grown to enjoy instead of going kind of back to the world of, of ticketing. Um, so it was, I had to look past the title. It was more about the true experience that I was getting or not getting. Yep. Um, and then the more I learned about uh, Arthur Blank, the more I learned about Atlanta as a city, the more I learned about um, the Falcons as a brand. And given the fact that it, this was right after um, the challenge of building up our fan base after Michael Vick left, the opportunity was going to be, um, it was going to be awesome to be able to, 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 to start that from ground zero. It was going to be awesome. Um, so move there at the end of 07 and, uh, and to build that fan base back up was, was just a tremendous opportunity that at that time, given all those factors, was willing to put Memphis in the rearview mirror. Um, going from 10 home stands to 10 home games, especially with our growing family, it was exactly what the doctor ordered. Um, it is, you know, it is definitely easier, especially at that time, um, to have a more balanced life um, as the kids would get older. So that was, you know, that was the, the ice, you know, not the driver of the decision, but something that, that was definitely a factor um, along making that decision to move to Atlanta. And so with the Falcons, you're still not doing the mascot duties that you once had to do back in the minors, right? I was the first mascot. Yes, I, there's a souvenir program, and I am – you don't know it, but I'm smiling behind the mascot head uh, that's on that souvenir program. Fortunately, they they uh, they they had a long time uh, great mascot that they hired in Chris Pegg right after that, so those <laughs> are behind. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I do miss my tarp. I miss. I still probably am the leader in uh, Memphis Redbirds tarp duties, um, and I miss that. I miss that dearly. I miss being on the phone and selling and having a more corporate job. And then all of a sudden at two o'clock in the afternoon, you get a call, Hey, we need you down in the field. Just running there. I mean, that is team building at its greatest. That's fantastic. I miss that. The 40 yard dance. Miss it big time. Yep. That's awesome. Don, you you ultimately move up in the organization there in Atlanta to the VP of sales role. And in 2017, the expansion Atlanta United FC come into the MLS. You're now overseeing that franchise and the business as well. And so, you know, many of our, our listeners are working with organizations with multiple properties, you know, and several different operations. 
what is your advice on time management, ensuring you're putting yourself in a position to excel on, on multiple properties and excel in everything that you're tasked to do? Yeah, so, you know, um, it was great to be able to build United, and once we learned the likely MLS franchise was going to be awarded our way, probably started working on that in 2014 and spending a lot of energy on that in 14, 15, 16. And could not be more proud of where, where that organization is. I think, um, you know, to me on time management, it, it comes time, you know, are you staffed correctly and, and do you have the right staff? You know, the, we have a great staff that I'm a hundred percent sure I could, I could um, take the month off, two months off. And, and those, that group um, is in tune enough with, the business that they can make key decisions. So time management is, is probably something um, it, it's, you know, I, it's really delegation and trust. I look, I lean a lot of our, on our directors and our managers and I put them in, in, a, in, a, in a good position for us to, for me to, you know, work with both teams. I think when I think of um, multitasking or running two business operations, I think it's not more work if you have the right staff. And instead, it's just more um, different work, which is which is fun. And when we're at our best, we're we're learning from one side of the business and applying it to the other, or matching systems or matching resources so that we're aligned, right? But overall, um, it's just more of prioritizing and and, um, and delegation and trust to our staff. Uh, that's great. And so you know, in the inaugural year that there of 2017, you mentioned it's a, a couple of years leading up to that. But, you know, Atlanta United FC, you finished first in ticket sales and attendance. And since then, have continued to dominate the single-game attendance records. You know, I was looking back at, at some history, and you guys have continued to break single-match records with over 70,000 people in attendance on multiple occasions. And so, you know, look, I started my career in Atlanta. I sold Atlanta. I still say it's arguably one of the toughest markets to sell in. And But you guys have had so much success. Like, how did you have that success that you had? Um, you know, so I think early on, I think we did some very right, right steps, um, uh, and every step along the, the growth in the last five plus years has just been consistent. So I think, um, early on, we communicated clearly. We, we, um, worked with every, every season ticket member. You know, we had no online process. We literally had sales team members working with every, customer to learn where they want to sit and finding them a seat. And so I think from the very beginnings back two years before we ever played a game, we were going methodically around, around that process. And then, and meanwhile, um, I think the more that, that we talked to fans and the more that our team surveyed folks and learned how, how there's this huge pride associated with Atlanta. And so, you know, and to name Atlanta United, it is truly just such a great um, representation of the city, and and now it just feeds on itself. I remember going into Georgia Tech when we played our first game because Mercedes-Benz Stadium wasn't ready, and my fear was, okay, everybody's going to come here, and then it's going to be packed, and everybody's going to be like, oh, what? This this is what we bought tickets to? But then instead, that was when it was, oh, this is what we bought tickets to, and, and that's when the sport itself took over, and that's when our marketing machine just took over. And then, you know, I, I think any team can kind of sell out the first game well. I think we did a good job of really focusing a lot of our energy on that second game, and that yeah. second match. And then that really starts confusing people. And once you find yourself in a productive supply-demand situation, you're, you're in a good place. But the pride associated with 
that the brand, the pride associated with owning season tickets, um, the, the consistency of that business model so far, I think it's really been the, the large attributors to the success. No, absolutely. You know, in, in 2019, Forbes estimated the club was the most valuable in the league, worth approximately $500 million, which is pretty impressive in itself. And, you know, we've talked about through this podcast, you, you've been able to be a part of a lot of really cool things. And, you know, in that second season, you end up winning the MLS Cup, uh, you know, at home. So, like, walk us through how crazy was that experience? What was that atmosphere like? It was it was incredible. And, the you know, it's unfortunately – when you're in this industry and traveling, you know this as well as to people that have spent too much time in the industry, is, is some of the awesome experiences from a fan view are a little numb to staff that have worked their fair share of events. Um, and that's definitely been true to, to me with too many times, and I, and I want to be able to, to enjoy it like a, like a seven-year-old kid, too, you know, uh, more often. That night... Um, along with one earlier night, probably the first time that we ever sold that venue, 70000 That was the – those were two of very, on a very short list of, of memorable evenings, and it was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. It is a point in time to where if you had – you know, you go back three years and just – if you were to – you know, before Mercedes-Benz Stadium, before Atlanta United, and if you were just – fast forward and transpose yourself in a place two years, you wouldn't have been able to understand that you're in America or in Atlanta. And that is so cool because that's a relatively short time frame that you could literally, if you were to take yourself and put yourself 700 days in the future, you wouldn't understand it. It wouldn't make sense. You wouldn't get it. You'd think you're someplace in, in Europe. And, and that experience was amazing. The crowd was incredible. Um, the fact that the team was a favorite you felt like you were about to go to a party, and, and you did. And, you know, and, and I think we all look, look forward to those days ahead um, because, again, you, now at this point in time, right, you realize not only do you take the winning for granted, but you're taking the, the, the fandom and the, and the girl and the guy sitting next to you for granted for sure. What an awesome experience. I feel like I always have to ask because I come across very few people that have done this, but you win it, you know, you have a ring. Do you wear it? No. No, no. So my, I think I've, I've shown it at a uh, show and tell. My kid, I have a one of my, my at a fifth grade show and tell. I think I brought it out last year. The uh, I have a PCL championship ring in 2000 when the Redbirds and Albert Pujols sent sent that team to the to the AAA World Series. I have that ring, and then and then of course the Atlanta United one. I do not I do not wear it. If I was back in my single days 20 years ago, I probably would, but but not today. But to your point, I'm sure your kids love it in the show and tell. And hey, Absolutely. my dad has some rings. Well, uh, hey, I matter. <laughs> I co- I covet it. It, it. it is a great representation of a lot of hard work and a lot of great teamwork and a lot of great people. Yeah. But but I don't I don't throw it on the finger for sure. Well, again, we're we're on here uh, 52 weeks of hustle and it's presented by Event Dynamics. So I feel like I have to ask you, Don. You you're one of our our first customers as a company, um, and you know you obviously. Uh, I obviously work there. Uh, the podcast is presented by it. So, you know, I guess really why, why did you decide to use event dynamics technology and how did it benefit you? Yeah. So I think, you know, when, I mean, the, the ticketing industry is changing so rapidly. Um, and so when, you know, if, if we're not continuing to stay on top of different uh, tools that, that challenge the status quo, then we're not, we're not evolving and we're not looking at, where ticketing could be in 10 years from now. And that's where I think Event Dynamics is, 
is, is on it, right? It, it, it's tools to, whether it's moving distressed inventory, which has been helpful for us, getting insights on what's happening on the secondary market, which is so quickly really the primary market. Like, the, you know, having the, um, being able to look at the numbers, being able to, 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 um, to just drill into the pricing side and be able to look at maybe behind the curtain of what, of what the industry could look like in, in the next decade. Well, we certainly appreciate the partnership. And, uh, you know, kind of going back, Don, you've obviously been around a lot of successful, you know, teams and a lot of successful people. And your franchise and stadiums you've been a part of hold a lot of really impressive records. So uh, much of that, and you've mentioned a couple of times, is having the right people, you know, and, ha- and hiring the right people and training and developing. And so what makes some of your top performers really stand out and separate themselves amongst their peers? So, um they're great, great listeners. I think, um, you know, when I think of, of getting the right people in the right place, I think it's great listeners. It's, it's people to balance out, um, balance me out, balance my weaknesses, um, and, and, and challenge and communicate. I think, you know, just excellent, you know, to me, the, the communication skills of our top sales and service members are, are our key producers that with, um, with, you know, just the, the work ethic and the energy. I think what in a, in an interview setting, I mean, everybody says they have a great work ethic, right? And so it, it's hard to drill into that sometimes. And I think, I think when I think of our top performers, it's folks that, that are, that are patient, that are listening, um, that are more focused on the activity and trusting that, that the results come, I think is where, where, you know, what we look for. Um, not, not easy, but it's what we look for. I think, you know, um, the quicker that um, you learn that the, the people around you and those, you know, to me, as we all want and strive for sales, um, sales team members to be competitive. It's also very important that they're teammates and helping out each other. And I think those being in there, we find our top performers. Having that one goal mentality. And, you know, Don, in, in several articles I read online, you know, preparing for this podcast, you, you mentioned frequently that you volunteer at the Westside Works program in Atlanta, which is a program focused on creating employment opportunities. And you clearly have a passion for that. And, you know, I think a lot of people that are listening, they're in this business, have a passion for a lot of things outside of, you know, their day-to-day job, but with the hours and the grind that comes into it, it's hard at times. So what is your recommendation to listeners that have a passion for helping whether it be nonprofits or anything else and finding the time to do volunteering volunteer work on a consistent basis. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it is a challenge. I think, I think that's where um, I am beyond fortunate enough to work for who I work for. The fact that, you know, in our, in our business, it's a part of the culture and to step away in a normal workday to volunteer is uh, beyond acceptable. I would say it's, it's not mandated, but it's expected. I think it's part of, of, of who we are. Um, when we think of, um, you know, the Westside Works program is a truly unique, um, a truly unique program started and uh, funded by the organization where um, takes uh, residents and, and, back to work programs and then helps them find a job. And, and it's a, you know, four week program and, and they would learn basically Monday, that group would work Monday through Thursday. They'd learn different construction licenses. This was a construction class. We also have a culinary class and a nursing class. And then on Friday it would just be different life skills, interviewing skills. Um, 
and to be able to just learn from so many awesome people that, that have very different backgrounds than I do. And then also fast forward 10 months later, they got a job and now they're on the site working at a construction site of Mercedes-Benz Stadium and I'm giving a tour and they're like, Mr. Dunn, class number six. I'm like, oh my God, that's incredible. Um, so, you know, it's a part of what, what, what drives me, a part of what, where I am, um, it helps reinforcing that I'm working for a company that's on brand and that, um, that's the right company for me. So, but I do think it, it is hard, especially for, for the other folks that have, have children, you know, you, you find your, yourself stretched at, at times for sure. But I think, you know, you, well, I need to block it out as if it's a meeting on a calendar, defend it and know that that's, that, that fuel that I am getting for volunteering is going to help me be a productive worker going to help me be a productive balance in life and those are you know otherwise you'll always find that it's, it's easy to always accept the meeting instead of volunteering you need to I need to throw it on my calendar and defend it and make sure that uh, understood that's just what I need to do because it's fuel for hopefully just more good things ahead Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, this has been fun, Don. And, and so kind of to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So are you ready for this? Probably not. We'll see what happens. What do you got? All right. So first, you have to sing a karaoke song. What song are you picking? Okay. So I know this is quick questions, I guess, but nobody wants to – you don't want me singing karaoke the last time I did it, I think I was in, I think we actually had to do it at a, at a work setting a couple, a couple of years ago. Fortunately, I still have my job. Prior to that, I was in college. I think I sang uh, an ACDC song and got booed off the stage. But tomorrow, if I had to sing, I'd go, um, you can't always get what you want. All right. Well, I guess I won't make you sing then right now. That, that is, yes. That was, I would not have accepted this invitation. <laughs> so you have your, your own late night talk show. Who are you inviting as your first guest? Oof. Um, I'd go with Tom Hanks. Okay. Big, yeah. Just, um, big, yeah, big, big fan. It's amazing how, you know, and maybe you're getting me because the last, you know, we're, we're all quarantined watching more movies than we have. And I swear the last, Four I've watched, and I was just showing my, my sixth grader big, which is sad that he hadn't seen it, <laughs> which means I'm really old. Pick it up to see him. And yeah. then, uh, you know, what is your favorite item you've purchased this year? So while, while locked down um, and when trying to get my kids away from video games, we purchased a batting cage for the yard. So, so uh, pitching machine and batting cage would definitely be the, the, the best they – They've used it a little bit, and I have found it as a good release um, release as well at the end of the today to go and take some hacks as well. Uh, that's so fun. And then, you know, when this thing stops and, and kids can start having, you know, fun with their friends, I'm sure that your backyard will stay busy with that. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's awesome. And so, Don, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be successful in this business? Um, so, a lot, okay, so – Networking was a word that we that was thrown around 20 years ago, and I didn't I didn't understand that. I think you know networking to me isn't for people that have cool titles. Networking's continuous. Networking you can network for people that uh, that work for you. Networking for um, your colleagues. A lot of times I think when we think of networking, it's the bigger the title, the better, and that, it's just not true. I've had so many stories of 
people that have connected people to either sales opportunities or job opportunities than people that are beneath them in organizations. So to me, uh, you know, I would say one, grow your network, but that doesn't necessarily mean um, start by the better the title. Uh, two, I would say um, help everybody around you. Um, you know, yes, in a selling environment, your different people are going to be put in places, situations you think they're competitors or not your competitors or your teammates. The more you help the person sitting next to you, the better off you will be, whether that's in reality or that's in karma. Um, both will help you tremendously. The more you find yourself helpful um, to everyone in the organization, the better off you'll be. Um, and then just continue to challenge what, what you want to do and what you want to be. Um, you know, I think a lot of times you people can get married to what they wanted to be when they were 18 grow, growing up and they think they have to be true to that person. Continue to challenge yourself of what, how you're wired, what you're like, and, and let life take over. And, and I think that's been helpful in my journey as I've learned more about my weaknesses, learned more about my strengths, and continue to, to try to find enjoyment in what I do. So those are my, those are my three. Awesome. Well, it certainly has worked. So Don, thank you so much. What a great career journey you've had such a, you know, some great experiences and I certainly appreciate your time and your expertise. Certainly a pleasure to have you on here. Awesome. Travis, thanks thanks a lot. I appreciate this. This is good. Uh, This is a a great use for for an hour for me for sure. It's awesome. Well, certainly appreciate it. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamics. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.